everyone. This is Dr. Dina Dye on Returning to Eden. And uh, today my co-host Jeff Morton is sitting this one out. And that's because I have a very special guest with me, my friend and soul sister, Bodie Taney. How are you, Bodie? Yeah, well, I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing really well. I know you're a bit under the weather, so we'll be kind to you, I promise. <laughs> Well, you know what? I'm I'm the only I'm the only person on the West Coast who hasn't had a cold, and finally uh, I got it. So uh, so anyway, so if I sound a little bit closed up, that's what it is. But I think it's really important that we talk, and um, there's a there's a lot to say and a lot going on. Oh, there's and, no question. Uh, so, yeah. Well, before we get started, uh, you know, maybe some of our listeners don't know who you are. I can't even imagine, but that's. <laughs> Um, Bodie is my personal favorite author everywhere. Uh, what you've got like seventy books, right? Something like I, that, or more? I think something like that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and thirty-five uh-huh. million in print, and in thirty different languages. And I don't know. Uh, to me, it's yeah. just remarkable. But your your career is just stellar, and your gift in research and writing historical fiction uh, with your husband, Brock, as a team. You, you want to say anything about that? Well, uh, Brock and I grew up together, of course, and, and uh, you know, have been, we were friends before we uh, fell in love. And, and one of the most awesome things that God has done is, is forged teamwork um, two blocks from one another as well. Wow. Wow. And, um, and it and it's you know uh, two are much better than one, and um, you got the three fold cord when you add Jesus to that, and it's unbreakable. It's uh, we've been married now forty eight years, and wow, um, and love what we do, love what we do. Well, so, you are uh, a, a tremendous inspiration to so many. I, I I have to admit, I'm still partial to the Zion Chronicles and the Zion Covenant. Somehow, I just got stuck there. I don't know, maybe when I first read them, you were sort of the only Messianic Jew I knew about, and just reading those stories about the founding of Israel, uh, yeah. they, you know, they've, they've had a huge impact on me. Yeah, those, those were also begun at a time uh, before the surge of anti-Semitism, before things became um, so backwards, and, and many of the people that we spoke to and interviewed, um, they saw how it grew. They saw what happened uh, in Germany from the Weimar Republic, you know, from being a republic that was like unto the United States of of America and how that then uh, devolved into something that was so uh, unbelievably um, evil. And so we had first-hand accounts from those folks. So you, I know you and your family lived in London for a while, and that's where you met a lot of these people that you were able to yeah. do your research. Uh-huh. Can you talk about that for a bit? Well, um, we lived in London uh, about 12 years. We, you know, of course, still had a had a home here in the in the U.S., but we have two sons that uh, went to university in London at the American College in London, and um, and we would bring um, college kids. Uh, from the master's college to uh, to London uh, for summer study, and so we would, you know, we teach them about research and teach them about um, uh, 
writing and and uh, history and literature all you know packed into one uh, dynamic summer. But um, but the the amazing thing about it was, Dina, we would get in a ca- uh, taxi cab, for instance, and um, and just begin a conversation with the driver, and something would. Uh, you know, would trigger him, and he would uh, then tell us what happened in the war. Mm-hmm. And this is in uh, late 80s into the 90s. And so these people were very, very active, um, you know, uh, middle-aged and, and had uh, memories that you couldn't get from a book. And, um, you know, one of the things we would do with our students is take them into the uh, Imperial War Museum, into the archives, which were photographs and accounts that no one had ever looked at because it's uh, you send out a war photographer, for instance, and he takes 100 photographs and maybe one out of, uh, out of 200 or 500 actually gets in the newspaper, but they would archive those things. Hmm. And so we would be able to see uh, you know, the, the, the photographs of, of people and places and events that nobody had ever seen before. And wow. one of the things, one of the things I'm, um, that comes very clear is people taking shelter, uh, you know, in the underground, in the in mm-hmm. the tube. And um, I, I remember a picture of of uh, Orthodox Jewish uh, man and woman sleeping next to one another in the tube, holding hands, you know, very elderly couple. Uh, those kinds of things that you could, oh my goodness, they, they just were so poignant. And it showed you that no matter where people escaped to, there was still huge danger at that time. Right. And the whole world had erupted with it. And so we were able to um, to not only have visual things that no one in the world since World War II had ever seen, except maybe the photograph, the ph- photographer. But then we were able to hear those personal stories, and one thing led to another, to another, to another. And uh, it, was, uh, it was quite a, an experience, and, a, and, a, and the, the guide, our guide, was the Holy Spirit, who would just say, you know, just uh, have a conversation here and, and talk to this one there. And so we got a, a very, very personal and deep history on uh, many accounts of, you know, thing, things that happened. and, uh, and Well, uh, and you guys attitudes. are marvelous at taking those stories and turning them into these yarns. These, I mean, you paint pictures in your writing, and it just comes alive. I mean, you can tell reading your books, you know, something dramatic has happened in your relationships with people and how you're communicating them to everyone. I mean, to me, that's just been, uh, that's just been such a blessing because uh, those books, well, Zion Chronicles and Zion Covenant, so capture the time. Those are the books, you know, where I stayed up and read the thing the whole night because I couldn't <laughs> put them down. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. Well, I, I, think, <laughs> I, think if you start, I think if you start with Vienna Prelude, the, uh-huh. the shocking thing is now, and and this is you know at the time we wrote them, Dina, they were um, they were about something that happened in the past, right? And now they apply to what's happening in the world right now. I mean the 
the anti-Semitic attacks in 2018, I think, are you know up in the 80-something percent. Um, oh, it's, there is it's an unbelievable. Up, there is an unleashing now, and yeah. I, uh, Brock, and I have talked about this. I really believe because it was so demonic, and I think you can attribute this to a personal evil against uh, the people of Israel. There was a, a, a personal, focused, adversarial evil that wanted to destroy the Jewish people. And uh, I believe now that so many of of the uh, people who were inhabited by evil at that time have passed off the scene. I think we're now seeing a um, a renewal. They, the the uh, the spiritual forces, the demonic forces, have found new new places, new people to inhabit. Yeah. And so How about in our watching. Congress? Yeah. Right. Oh, that Ilan Omar. I mean, unbelievable. This is this is a congresswoman yeah. speaking like this in league with yeah. Louis Farrakhan and uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. And she she does this with a smile. And one of the things I posted on uh, my personal Facebook, not on the not on the public Facebook, but the personal Facebook was a comparison between um, uh, Omar in her, oh, I, all you can call it is an attack of Abrams, who is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, Elliot Abrams, yeah. yeah. Yes, Elliot Abram. And she personally attacked him and said, said uh, when he said, I would like to answer that, she said, that was not a question. You can't answer it. I want a yes or no. Do you think the, you know, this uh, uh, massacre that, you know, happened by people trained by the U.S. Do you think that was okay? And I watched her mm-hmm. smile as she attacked this Jewish man. And I thought to myself, where have I seen this before? And what I, what I found, what I rediscovered, was the interrogation of Judge uh, uh, Roland... Uh, oh, no. No, 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 no. Huh? Going no, back. This, the, I went back. I went back yeah. into the forties and back into the Nazi archives, and I saw okay. the trial of um, of the uh, conspirators who had tried to to assassinate Hitler. And okay. this, there was this Nazi judge by the name of Roland Freisler. Oh my goodness! Oh, if you look at that interrogation. The, the pattern is almost identical. You could lay on the words that Freisler, who was the hanging judge, who was one of mm-hmm. the most evil uh, um, puppets of, of Hitler, and his word order and the things that he said to these people, uh, it, was, it, it was like seeing it all over again to watch this encounter between Omar and Abram in our own um, in our in our own Congress in a committee where they were interviewing Abram, so I, you know I I posted both of those I posted mm-hmm. the uh, the video of uh, Freisler and um, and the his his pack of those people who were trying to free Germany and um, and this woman Omar who's now sitting in Congress and is virulently 
anti-Semitic yeah. virulent. Yeah. Yes, she's not, there's nothing, um, there's no way that you can tone that down when you look at her and listen to her speak to this, uh, to this Jewish American, uh, Elliot Abram. It's, uh, it's really actually frightening if you see the parallels. Well, we're past the point of couching, hiding, uh, anything. Everything just yeah. seems to be out in the open. I suppose there's a certain advantage to that. I did want to ask you something. You know, going back to the Weimar Republic, it seems to me that period in Germany was a period of just cultural depravity, was it not? Decadence. It, it, it was, yeah. And a lot like what we see here in the U.S. There was yeah. uh, just... Uh, yeah, just and into that vacuum we get hit. Yes. Yeah. So what's right. the question going ahead? Because we are living well, in a time of total cultural depravity. Yes, we are, and it it is manifesting uh, differently because the devil has a has a real way of twisting, you know, so that uh, so that you have, um, for instance, uh, the stuff that's coming out in. Uh, in the Oscars, I think the favorite is uh, is just one movie that is uh, you know full of um, it's just just depraved. I mean, it's it is it's beyond porn and into depraved porn is what yeah. it is, and it's yeah. and it's up you know up for Oscars. And so you look at this stuff and you think to yourself, how did we get here? I mean, yeah. I you know I in my early years I worked for you know, John Wayne and men of, of great integrity in the film industry. And um, Duke said at one time in, I think it was 1972, when we went to the rating system mm. for film, yeah. he said, before this moment, he said, this is, a, this is a, a real moment in film history, because before we go to the rating system, all films are supposed to be Family films, you can just take just about anybody, you know, to, to any movie. And now we have crossed a line where things that were considered X movies, X-rated movies in, say, the late 70s are, are off the charts. It, it's the, 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 the stuff that is, um, you can't even rate this stuff, it's so vile. And these are the things that are up for Oscars. It's, you know, we've, we've gone past the point of just simply depraved and into, um, into Genesis 18, yeah. uh, Sodom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said that because I think it was about a week ago. You know, just I think about the cultural morass and where we're headed. And I, this yeah. sort of thought dropped into my head. Uh, about the motion, motion picture industry, I guess from about, what, 34 to 54, somewhere in there, there, there was a pretty strict set of guidelines, moral guidelines, yeah. and the Catholic Church was sort of the arbiter, making sure that the movies that came out were, as you said, family-friendly. And I just felt yeah. like the Lord was saying that was a pivot point. When the, when the church pulled out of uh, any sort of uh, purview over the movie industry, that was a pivot point. You know, like Roe v. Yeah. Wade was a pivot point. That was as well. And then, you know, the the more the moral decline, kind of the nail. Because Hollywood, the influence of Hollywood on our culture, I mean, is, knows is no bounds. Un, 
unbelievable, and they are so unconnected to real people. And what they're doing is influencing our kids and our and our um, and our grandkids into the next generation. I, you know, I I can I can note, you know, having been there in the 70s and late 70s, that the language is the language that people used at that time. And I'm not talking about you know Batjack Productions or John Wayne Enterprises. I'm talking about just in general in Hollywood mm-hmm. was pretty rough and not anything that I was used to. I mean, I I was a I was a pretty uh, provincial young uh, young woman at that time, and so I had never heard people use the F word, you know, five times in one paragraph, <laughs> and, and we were already there, but it hadn't yeah. yet come into dialogue. Now, here's something really interesting. Roe v. Wade and the, um, and the rating system of movies, you know, from X, R, PG-13, PG, to just general audiences, came in the same time, the same exact same period of time. Interesting, and very both, interesting. Both of, those, both of those things, which, uh, of course, you know, my... My boss considered just a, a moral travesty uh, in within the motion picture uh, community. Um, both of those things began to happen in right at the, in the ni- early 1970s. So we see this shift right there, you know, right there, yeah. and it it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And it's you know the old uh, boiling the frog right. uh, metaphor, but but when we when we apply that then to history, which is uh, what I think we need to do, um, the depravity that was a part of the uh, of Germany and the and the Weimar Republic is parallel. You know what was going on in Europe, what was going on in uh, Germany is the descent of the church, the stepping back of the church. Yes. Yes. From from all events, from everything. It's just kind of let people do what they're going to do. And, you know, we have a sort of um, religion by uh, this is where I was raised and where I go. And the church stepped back and became apathetic and people Mm -hmm. became apathetic. That is exactly what has permitted all of this to happen, Dina. I couldn't agree more. The church is MIA in the culture. And now, it really now is. it's not yeah. even MIA, it's embracing the culture. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And so we are, we're watching, uh, for instance, I guess the United Methodist Church uh, has, is splitting, I guess, between, mm-hmm. uh, between you know, people who re- embrace liberalism and immor- immorality and, and people who were maybe raised as Methodists in the South who say, no, no, that's not, that's not who we were. And so it all comes down to a personal relationship with Yeshua. And that's what we see in the Bonhoeffers and yeah, historically in Germany. The Niemollers. Yeah, the Niemollers, people who stood up and said, if we don't turn this around, we're going down. And, of course, the Weimar Republic did that. And they, oh, man, am I just talking too fast? I, I, no, no, my, no. Uh, I'm just sitting here oh, fascinated. 
my mind is just so full of like the Jesse Jesse Smollett thing. Okay, yeah. can I yeah. give you a? I'm going to give you an example. Go for of it. False, false flags that happened in uh, in the Republic of which had a constitution like the United States in the Republic of Germany, Weimar Republic. Um, the Nazis had a one third share of the of the uh, German parliament and they had they made alliances with um extreme left okay the social the national socialist which is nazi party made um you know made various uh uh alliances to vote a certain way with um you know with extreme left and then there were just you know christian conservatives that like we see in our congress i hope these uh parallels are maybe shaking people up a little bit. Yeah. Okay, well, the way the Nazis took power is they set up secretly, quietly, and we have a, uh, a, a quote from Goering in which he admitted over a lunch uh, celebrating Hitler's birthday that he is the one who orchestrated an event so horrific that it pushed the entire country into the Nazi camp. And that event was very early on. It was the burning of the Reichstag. Yeah. yeah. Which, which is, you know, it's the equivalent of somebody burning down the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. But they presented it as, as um, uh, the, the Nazis' deep state, orchestrated that they did right. it but they blamed the communists and so right. all of a sudden the entire country is in an uproar they blamed uh, the Jews they said that you know it was the Jew Jewish uh, communists that that burned down the Reichstag and oh my goodness within two weeks of that false flag event Adolf Hitler was elected chancellor of Germany. And so by false flag, they pushed people into believing that there was a threat. And they, you know, took over. The Nazi, the Nazi National Socialists took over. Well, so and what we... Yeah, go ahead. It's, well, it's interesting that the threat, yes, certainly against the Jews, but also against the communists. Because in yes. reality, they're just communists. I mean, there's no yeah. difference between a national socialist and communism. Let's just no, be there's not. real no. about that. Fa- yeah, fascism and communism are the same thing. Yes. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So interesting yeah. that that's where they, you know, that's where they put yeah. the blame. Well, their goal was to uh, put their own Obama or Hillary Clinton uh, at, at the head of the government. That was right. it. It was yeah. it was a soft coup. It was a coup by vote, and they managed to take over the country then and legislate. This is the thing that is so freaky. <laughs> they legislated the the deaths of millions. They 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 legislated the 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 overthrow of people's personal lives, the business of um of you know even being able to move out of Germany as a Jew right you couldn't do that 
without giving them everything. And what we're seeing right now is a push, a move, an anti-Semitic movement within the uh, Democrat Party that is that that's, they narrow their eyes and say, "What can we take? What? How can we take these freedoms?" Right. And uh, and that's exactly where we're headed. Right now, we are just on the cusp of Germany in 1932 or 33. And it, well, it's... Consider, yeah. The same thing is happening in Israel. I mean, oh, the yeah. left-wing Jews over there functioning as an extension of the Democrat Party over here are doing exactly yeah. the same thing to Netanyahu. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I we wanted to, to just quickly, I mean, you talked about legislating death. Well, I mean, how is that any different? And we've just legislated the, the murder of, what, 330,000 babies per year since 1973. Yes. Um, yeah. And, of course, uh, as we're recording this, yesterday was the day of mourning, and I hope many of you were praying and crying out to God for mercy. But we now have four states, New York, New Mexico, Vermont, and Virginia, in which you can basically abort a baby like two seconds before it's a healthy baby before it's going to yeah. be born, and then even questionable after the baby's born. Yeah. I I did a little bit of research on that, and I, I the my question is, um, what's the difference between exactly. between injecting a living child in the womb, at, really at any stage, but it, but injecting a, a, a full term baby in the womb with a lethal injection and killing it? What's the difference between that and what the Nazis did was uh, to inject babies with a lethal injection or drown them? Did you see the uh, the reference uh, from some Planned Parenthood person who said, uh, "Oh, if a baby's born alive, we just drown it in some solution." I did see that, and I thought to myself, "Yeah, I just saw that one and uh, and saw it," but but I. Um, I'm sorry, my clock is... <laughs> well, now we know my what time it is. Driving. Yeah, we know what time it is. Yeah, it is, it's the 11th hour. <laughs> Do you know in our state, New Mexico, the solution that you use as a lethal injection on animals is forbidden, but you can use it on babies? I mean, yeah. that's where we've descended to. That's what we have descended to, and it needs to be turned around because it is. There is no difference. There's no difference. I don't There's care none. what anybody says. There is not one shred of difference between the Nazis who murdered babies and the and the baby killers of this day in our own nation, and the politicians who are voting for this. There's no difference between them. There's no difference between what happened in the camps. And, uh, and 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 what these people are, are now legalizing it was legal to do it in Germany. That's right. And and here we are. And so here we are. Historically, yeah, here yeah. we are. So you know, I mean, the, our logical conclusion, you know, is are we going to end up with a major civil war, blood, bloody civil war in the United States? Yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose uh, because Germany, Nazi Germany also took people's, uh, they took, you know, all weapons. 
and uh, you know that's that's what people are working toward. And they're also the the perversion of our constitution. Um, the the fact is that's that's what the Democratic Party, the Democrat Party, is working toward is the perversion of the constitution. I'm I'm standing back. Oh, watching all of this happen and I have I have no rooftop that I can stand up and shout, you know, the, the, everybody wake up, wake up, shake off the spirit of slumber because we are on the verge of the most massive legalized slaughter that it surpasses anything that happened in Germany. I mean, we... We've already, as far as the you know the blood of the unborn, we have surpassed um, the the numbers that have been killed uh, in in the Holocaust. The differences that that we had people who were you know sentient and aware of what was going on around them, and these are just innocent babies, innocent children in in their mothers' wombs, and it, it is. The, the frightening thing is that we see the women, the mothers, who are saying, okay, yeah, let's do this. I want this. I want to kill my own child. And um, it's uh, so, you know, back to what we originally talked about. I, I believe that what we're seeing is a manifestation of a profound evil that does resurface from time to time throughout all of history. Yes. That is, uh, that, you know, you can go back and look in the Bible and you can see the worship of Baal and the, the death of, of newborn babies and even, you know, beyond that. And uh, this, is, this is something that historically shows up from time to time and we're, we're living it now and in, a, in an extreme um, manifestation of evil and legalization of evil. Well, and it's just the, the pattern of what tyrants do. You know, they, of course, yes, they confiscate guns in order to, you know, have their way. But, I mean, my area, of course, is more in the ancient Near East world. But the, the pattern of what dictators and tyrants do is ex- exactly the same over and over and over again. Uh, yeah. We just have to look at, at Venezuela as a, a great example. Uh, those of you who read the news recently, they've been trying to get humanitarian aid, food, etc., into the country. Yeah. And uh, Maduro has just prevented and burned the stuff. I mean, those people, have, they say, have lost like 24 pounds on average per person in, in Venezuela yeah. in the last year. They have only enough food for one day. And that we look yeah. and we see this is exactly where the Democrats want to take us. Uh, yeah. and because in their heart, you know, this, this desire to rule and control and beat back the masses, uh, to exalt the elites and take care of, you know, themselves at the, at the yeah. expense of the folks. Uh, I don't really see a whole no. lot of difference going on here. No, there's not. And, um, uh, and OAC and her, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> green power, there is that group. And the, and the Bernie Sanders of the world yeah. who say, this, this time socialism, communism is going to work. But it's, we're, it is the responsibility of the church, of, yeah. the, of the, the messianic community, to, to get active. Because if we are silent, 
we're going to end up with another Niemöller quote. You know, they 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 came for, right. uh, you know, you can go oh, down through yeah. the list. Who I they came for? And, yeah, and, yeah, and in the end, it's going to be it's going to be you. It's going to be me. And um, the the horrifying thing is to see the apathy of the midterm elections. Yeah, has opened this uh, like and it is in hell. Yeah, yeah, and and we say you know pray. But God says, you can't just pray. You are me. You have the spirit of the living God within you. And if you do not act, and if you don't fight evil actively, which in this beautiful, wonderful land, we have the privilege of voting. We have the privilege of speaking for now. Now, you know, that... That may go away if we don't if we don't take advantage of it at this point. But I'm telling you, we're I, I cannot warn strongly enough. And you know, people say to me, "Gee, you're really courageous for for speaking up." Speaking and I say, out, "No, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really not. I'm just I'm just saying uh, it is. Um, there's there's a little bit of of, uh, of fear that if I do not speak out." it's going to be too late. And so every single one of us needs to get active. We all need to, you know, write our senators, our representatives and say, I'm not voting for you, honey. If you if you vote for, you know, whatever it is that is so immoral. And I think at this point, uh, Dina, what we're looking at is the um, is the lives of the of the innocent, the most innocent among us the the citizens that are unborn and the and the and the desire for the democrat party to have open borders so that they can flood this country with people who will then vote for them it's a, it is once again it's a technique it is a design to take this country over and there there can be no other ex- explanation for it what you know, we're talking about you know the protection of our borders. Um, what's what's the downside of having a barrier? There is none <laughs> because none. all of them in Congress have barriers around their houses. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for this country, yeah. this is like nothing we've ever seen. I mean, I just uh, well, I just listen, saw it. in the ancient yeah. world. You know, when they built their city, every ancient city built a wall around it. Duh. Yeah. What for? Yeah. To protect the citizens yeah. from foreign invasion. I mean, exactly. You know, pick exactly. your Sumerian city, and that's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm out in California, and... You poor um, thing. Of course, I'm I right know. behind you. <laughs> I know. Well, let, let me... I, you know, I, I, I put this up every once in a while, but I, but I want to define something for your listeners. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, her 12th district is only the boundaries of the city of San Francisco. Only. That is, huh. that is, the, that is the 12th that's district, district of the Congress. Yeah. That's her entire district. Okay, now within that city limit, which is a sanctuary city, there are 55,000 homeless on the streets living on the street 55,000 
people defecate in the storm sewers. There is disease. People shoot up drugs on the street. Um, crime is rampant. I mean, the place is... Um, uh, John Stossel did a, did a video of it. I saw and, that. And, yeah, and published it. It is worse than a third world country. And that is Nancy Pelosi's vision for America. Um, San Francisco Sobering. gives, yeah, San Francisco gives people uh, the homeless, uh, you know, money every month. Uh, people flock to that place, criminals, illegal aliens. Uh, people go right into San Francisco. And um, I went to school in San Jose. And, uh, and Dina, you know San Francisco. Yeah, that was I was your, born there. <laughs> that was your hometown, girl, so you know what yeah. I'm talking about. And, well, look uh, again so, at the jewel of the West Coast. Yeah. And then we see it, the same thing. Venezuela was the jewel of South America. Yes, and these policies was. totally destroyed both. Totally, yeah, yep. So that's where we're headed if we don't, as uh, you know, as as people of God, if we do not stand up, this is what we're headed for. And and you, uh, here's a here's something else to send a little shudder. Nancy Pelosi is uh, next in line after yeah. Pence to become president of the United States. If something happened to Pence. And something happened to um, uh, to our president uh, Trump. Then Nancy Pelosi would be president. And is that does that not make you shudder? Because she speaks only for San Francisco, only for San Francisco. Wow. Two hundred and seventy-seven thousand votes, as opposed to sixty-three million votes for the the current president. And so you know you have a we got something going on here. That's uh, that's profoundly evil and very, very, very real, and we all need to wake up and do something about it, or or we're we're walking down the path to legalized murder. We're already there in some states. Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I think we, you know, and it'll be good for us to kind of talk about some solutions. <laughs> We get depressed. Yes. Well, yeah, we said it, yeah. <laughs> but I do want to, I don't know if you saw this, uh, somebody passed this on to me uh, yesterday, uh, the three-minute clip from a, a pastor, preacher, and he was sharing the story about how, um, I guess it would have been the early 1900s, there was in the Hebrides in Scotland, particularly the Isle of Lewis, was a re revival yeah. that started from two decrepit women who couldn't even leave their house and go to church. So they would have yeah. their they would have meeting in their home and they were uh, they prayed and prayed and this one young man uh, you know gave his life his heart to Jesus to Yeshua and his name was Donald and he ended up you know helping the pastor and the thing just grew and took off well one of the, the niece of the aunts or she was the niece of the two ladies her their her aunt <laughs> anyway she emigrated to the United States. Um, and married, uh, she married this man, they had four kids. Well, it turned out that this woman, the niece of the two, of one of the women in this revival in the Hebrides, uh, her name was Marianne, and her husband's name was Fred, and the four kids, the youngest of the four was Donald Trump. 
and the Bible okay. that these women used in their home to bring this about this revival, she sent over to Marianne, and that Bible sits in the White House. And we can all yeah. agree this is no accident for such no a time. The so Winston yes. Churchill for us now. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes, I really believe he is. And uh, Churchill had uh, tremendous opposition. I don't know if you saw um, uh, Their Darkest Hour, The Darkest yes. Hour, which was a excellent. phenomenal film. Yeah, excellent. But you can, you can see the disrespect that, that uh, uh, Churchill received from even in, within his own party. And because he had been saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, throughout all of the 30s, uh, and then suddenly war was upon them, they, they uh, gave this to him to handle. But he, <clears throat> excuse me, Trump is the same kind of leader that ha- he's disrespected you know, on so many levels. And, <clears throat> and yet he is the man that God has chosen to stand up, and we need yeah. to stand beside him and, uh, and support him. Amen. As he tr- as, as he, yes, as he tries to support our country and defend our country and defend life, that's a biggie. That is, it that's seems just that huge. he, like Churchill, has been raised up to guide us through what, you know, not World War II specifically, but through the culture war that we're in. Doesn't it exactly. seem like that? I, I just yes, that, it does. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I do want, I, I think um, we have to look at where all this comes from. And, and it's, in my mind, it, it can all be reduced to uh, the forces that want to destroy the family and the yeah. forces that want to exalt the family. And the family... Uh, it, is a threat to the state. Yes. And that's the key yeah. here. The traditional family is a threat to the state in terms of yeah. morality and everything else, but especially morality. And so yes. the state has launched an assault that's really gone on for almost 100 years since Woodrow Wilson. To yeah. dis- All the policies of the state is to make the family a victim and to destroy it so it doesn't stand in the way of the growth right. of the state. Because the growth of the family means freedom and the growth of the state means enslavement. I do think right. we can reduce this down to that. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? And yeah, I, I really agree. And historically, again, you know, looking at uh, Germany in the early 30s into the, uh, into the war, the kids were, um, were taken from the parents as far as the education is concerned. Um, when... Uh, when Hitler became chancellor, very, very early on, um, kids then went into their classrooms and instead of the, uh, the cross on the wall, there was a picture of Hitler. Right. And so they removed the, you know, the spiritual significance of education. They took it out of the schools entirely and they replaced it with a, with a secular god. And um, we see that kind of thing happening. I mean, you know, um, gosh, when we were kids, you said the Pledge of Allegiance and you sang every morning, you know, yeah. um, God Bless America or, or our, uh, our national anthem. Not so anymore. And, and there is a, um, 
there's a sense in the country now that anything that is of God is a bad thing somehow, yeah. that this is yeah. something that, that, uh, that we don't want our kids to, to, uh, to understand or we don't want to even have that discussion within our, our classes. And again, that is a legalized secularization mm-hmm. of all of uh, society. And, well, um, and it's, it's the family that brings order to everything. Right. The fam- yes. You know, a stable family is the foundation of any culture and yeah. it brings order. And without it, you are, it's chaos. This is, I, I totally believe, I mean, the, ad, the advocating of homosexuality and gender stuff and, you know, yeah. uh, and back in the welfare policies to keep the, the husband out of the home, they were all designed, right. again, to destroy the family. An interesting statistic here. Well, I don't know if this is statistic, but did you know that in Europe, uh, Macron, French president, no children. Uh, Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, no children. May, uh, Britain, no children. It, the Italian Prime Minister, Gent, I forget his name, Gentiloni, no children. Holland, Root, no children. Sweden, Lofven, no children. Luxembourg, Bethel, no children. Scotland, uh, whatever his name is, no children. Think about it. Hitler had no children. Yeah. No children. Isn't that interesting? Wow. It is. It is interesting. And I, you know, I'm of the I'm of the the spiritual school that says everything means something, and um, everything is like this is significant. So you you look at that and you say, you know, these are people who have no um, no personal experience exactly with the, with the love and the compassion, and they're of, running of countries. Love. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's really true. And you look at the women who are uh, who are now in uh, Congress, who are uh, yes. without compassion toward infants, without compassion toward the the most vulnerable among us. And you can see a connection there that there's just something that has been cut off. And this is a spiritual thing. And I I want to go back to what you said about. Uh, Trump's great aunts in the Hebrides and the fact that there was a great spiritual renewal and that he yeah. holds that Bible that's significant yeah. that is really really uh, you know a powerful story and a true story I really believe that those who think they can do nothing can pray can pray can open their scripture and read and as they read they can say, I am claiming this power for our country. I am claiming this revival. And, and, and we can, by prayer, change the world. If we can't do anything else, that's still the most important thing we can do, and it's where we all need to begin. But then going forth, we do need to be active in um, you know, supporting all pro-life uh, candidates and in repudiating those yes. who are, do not have a sense of of the importance and the sacredness of life and families, we need to be involved, guys, or we're gonna we're gonna lose it. And um, that's what history teaches us. That's where we're at now. But prayer, yes, prayer, 
Dina. And we need to be a, uh, the, the Hebrides um, group who says, okay, Lord, today I am going to give myself and everything I do to asking you to give wisdom to our leaders that, that those who love you and maybe even those who don't quite get it yet, that you will reveal yourself to them in dreams, Amen. that you will show the, the evil ones that their end is not eternal life. That, and, oh, my goodness, can you believe the old people in Congress who are voting for death, I, I, who are voting for the end of this? I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, yeah, how, how much longer does somebody who's 80 years old and a senator voting for death, how much longer have they got before they come face-to-face with Yeshua HaMashiach and he says, you're going to give an account now. And, um, I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit scary. I mean, <laughs> it's more than a little bit scary because um, the, this is a... This is our testing ground. This, this temporal world is where we are tested. Who are we? What are we? Are we truly men and women of God? Or are we asleep at the wheel and letting, um, you know, letting the school bus go over the edge? I, I just, uh, oh, I, I am I'm passionate for all of us to wake up. I'm passionate for all of us to hear the sound of the trumpet on the walls that says, warning, wake up and pray. Wake up and do something. Don't, don't just sit back and say, oh my, this is terrible. Right. But do something. And, and that's where we're at. You know, I, I, could, I can talk about the historical parallels that are very recent, you know, within our parents' generation into us. Or I can say... And we do need to know those things because yeah. other, otherwise there's no track record to go on. But uh, if we know history and really know history, then we say, wow, history is repeating itself now. What can I do to turn back this evil tide? And we begin with prayer, and from there we go on into you know being involved in our local school boards and our, um, you know, in in the in the life and the political life of this country. Exactly. And, um, well, and yeah. you know, our lives are just a blip. I mean, a blink and they're over. So we got to make yeah. it count. I, I talk lo- a lot when I go speak, you know. Uh, you're, you're not going to leave anything behind other than your legacy. And what did you do to advance the kingdom of God on this earth? Yes. And this yes. isn't a numbers game. You know, we don't have to have the most people to win. We just have to right. have the God of the universe on our side yeah. fighting the battle for us. And, you know, that requires being prepared, as you said, in the prayer closet. But you cannot stay there. You've got to get out and you've got to move within the culture and you've got to find a place uh, to serve. And at, at the very least, as you mentioned, you know, we vote. But there is so much more to be done than that. And, I, you know, everyone is gifted in a different way. I, You know, I like to communicate with some of these lawmakers because the father's given me an ability to do that and some people don't like to do that but my goodness there's a myriad of things that can be done 
And uh, right. it's like you say, it all begins with just opening your eyes, waking up, and then, you know, <laughs> smelling the coffee, getting your marching yeah. orders, and get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many people say, what can I do? You know, I'm, I'm, I just feel helpless. And I say, well, don't you have a uh, crisis pregnancy center yes. in your community? Uh, you know, buy, go buy diapers. Go buy newborn diapers and take them in. If you can't do anything else, you know, take, take a, um, you know, beyond your, your tithe, take your, make a gift of, of diapers or, um, you know, a layette set or something or go volunteer to, uh, to counsel and learn how to do this. If you want to get in really personally involved, uh, you know, the phrase, love them both, love the mother and love the child and help the mother love the child. Amen. And, and so there, there is on a personal level, and I think that's where we need to bring this in, is by our love we are known. It's not simply the anger that, that we feel at w- what certain people are doing to this country and, and the, um, the manifestation of evil within the, uh, the government at this point. It is what can I do personally and what you can do personally, anybody can do, is, is be kind and find a way to be kind yes. to those who are suffering. You know, if we have... Um, you know, millions and millions and millions of babies who have been imported. That means there are millions and millions of women who have undergone this and who are suffering now. And the reason they are so vocal and so vociferous and and angry, it is guilt. It is their guilt. And so what's the answer to that? It is the fact that Yeshua HaMashiach died for our sins Every one of us, every one of us has a sin. And, and the blood of our sacrifice, Yeshua, covers that sin. He forgives. He welcomes. He loves. He understands. He embraces. And, it, and he says, stand up now and live differently. Stand up and help someone who is going through what you went through. And you did, maybe you didn't understand when you had an abortion, you didn't understand that this was a living human being, but now you do. Mm-hmm. So be forgiven and live for life. And you know, so many, so many women need to hear that message, and then they will come with us and walk with us and say, ah, "Jesus forgave me for mm-hmm. what I have done, and I want to help someone else." So exactly, there's no other answer. There, there is, is no, no other answer. answer. I agree. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is we need to be reproducing life in whatever form yeah. that can yes. take. That is the nature yes. of who God, our God is. He is life, <laughs> life everlasting. And so yes. everything that we put our hands to do should re- be reproducing life. We're, we're yes. image bearers called out into the, into the field to bring the kingdom and to bring hope yes. and to you know, to let people know that there is a God, there is a King, He's alive and well, and He forgives and loves and extends yes. mercy, all these things. Yeah. And so, yeah. whoa, well, we're, uh, we're almost done here, Bodhi. We just, uh, an hour just flew by. And, yes, it uh, did. 
I'm hoping, you know, people have gotten a good perspective from you, you know, what went on in World War II, the patterns and parallels that we're experiencing today, uh, that we understand a little more about the root problem, and that we now take our marching orders and we go out and, and we do what God has called us to do. And right. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy life and being on the program here with me, it's uh, really special. I uh, thank, thank you, you so much. And you know, I you know, I love you, girl. We're I know we're, <laughs> we're sisters of the heart. We are and, um, sisters of the DNA too. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, just before we close, I I know I just want to mention to our viewers that your latest book that was on the mountain of the Lord, which you collaborated with Ray Bentley. And that was part of the Elijah Chronicles, which, and I'm yes. guessing your next one's coming soon, I would assume. It is, it's done, and it's in the hands of, uh, you know, of uh, the publishers. So, um, you know, they, they'll schedule it. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I'm really excited about it because it, it brings it home. It brings the message home and, and uh, really shows where, uh, where we're at. The, um, the working title is the threshing floor, the threshing ooh, floor, and uh, yeah, so yeah, that's that's book two of the Elijah Chronicles. But uh, on the mountain of the Lord is um, that's out and it's recent, and um, I think it's a good one. Well, great, yeah. So go out and buy it if you haven't already, and and then you can buy our other sixty-nine or seventy-one books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vienna Prelude would be the place to start. I think. All right, you hear that, folks? Start with Vienna Prelude. Great, great yeah. book. Well, yeah. thanks again, Bodie, and uh, you know maybe we can do this again some some other time. But I, I, it's been a blessing, and I trust that people are really going to be blessed by everything. Thank you. Thank you so. so thanks. Thanks so again. Much, Okay. All right, you guys, uh, thanks for joining us for this uh, hour show, and I'll see you next time with my co-host, Jeff Morton. This is Dina Dye with Returning to Eden. Shalom, shalom.